Our kids have said to us since we've moved to Minnesota, we are far more active than we've ever been anywhere else we've ever lived. Moving to Minnesota opened up a lot of doors for us. Just this overall sense of community, of values that, you know, Minnesotans have. It's a real accepting, loving community, especially with two young kids. See what makes Minnesota the star of the North. New residents share why they love calling it home at exploreminnesota.com slash live. Lots of things are better together. Hockey, food, golf. How about a cold one on the patio during a nice spring day? But if you really want to take things to the next level, drink some Labatt Blue Lights with your friends and live life to the power of we. Always enjoy responsibly. Beer, Labatt USA, Buffalo, New York. To happy returns for all of us. You know, the GM Shuffle, we're never taking a week off, okay, folks? If you thought we were just here for football season, no way. We're going to be here all offseason because there's always news happening, and that's why we're not going anywhere. Just like Bob Knight's not going anywhere. He can go back to Indiana. Just like Adnan Ver can go back in the Levitard show and be on ESPN Airwaves. And as my man Michael Lombardi pointed out, just like Big Push showing up in, in the Tony's uh, driveway, people always come back to where they're from, Mike. They do. I mean, when I saw you on Levitard, I was loving it. I saw Coach Knight in the arena, which he swore he would never get into, and Puss was at the driveway. I mean, you know, it, all those things come back. I, I think it was awesome. I mean, I think it's great that, you know, you're back on ESPN, at least in some capacity. I mean, even Napoleon came back to France. I mean, I know he went to Elba twice, but he came back. So I, th- I think return is the right word, and the Coach Knight thing was powerful. It was powerful. And for me, it was, you know, I think this generation, unfortunately, sees Coach Knight as this mad lunatic, you know, this enraged, you know, guy who just throws chairs across the thing and slaps players. And there's way more to Coach Knight than that. And, And unfortunately, you know, because we're in a an eight-second time difference in terms of attention span in this generation that nobody really goes back and studies what this guy was able to bring in terms of coaching and how his players loved him, you know, and I thought that was, you know, great. I thought the Dickie V thing was interesting. <laughs> like, I, I actually think he was pissed off at Dickie V for even... I think you're right. There may have been a little bit of annoyance there towards Dickie V. Come on, baby! Pop that yeah. baby! I mean, I got to believe that everything Dickie V does is like Knight shakes his head like, you know, I don't. we don't need a showman. We need somebody who's got some real, you know, and Dickie V's made a career out of it. I mean, it's been wonderful, but you know, I mean, every time I, I watch it, oh my God, he go, you know, we go right into Dickie V, complete Dickie V. Guy makes a layup and we're all in the Dickie V. So, but that was great. Tell me about Lebatar. I want to know. It was great. I was, I was surprised as anybody when they said, do you want to come back on? I'm like, has this been vetted? Like at the top levels of communication here? Like, I was like, are we, are we okay with this? But I, I think those are the kind of guys, Mikey, you go ahead and roll the dice and you, you beg for forgiveness afterwards rather than ask for permission ahead of time. But it was fun. It was, People seem to get a kick out of it, and obviously Levitard's a great guy, and their whole show unit's really cool. So it was, uh, it was nice to make my return a year later. It was fun. I think that's awesome. I think it's great. You know, and and look, uh, you know, nobody, and I'll say this completely as your friend, but to me, what you were able to accomplish at the Oscars in terms of your predictions, you deserve to be on there. I mean, you know, it's really remarkable how accurate you were. And your ability to kind of forecast the future with the Oscars. I'm disappointed. I I should have had you on the Vision show over the weekend to really help solidify some of the picks. I think people could have made money off all your picks. It was remarkable. And that's on me. I apologize for that. No, no, no. Listen, we're not going anywhere. So next year, we'll definitely be on Vision. And yes, I did go 21 of 24, which is tied for the best I ever did. So uh, to quote Han Solo, sometimes I amaze myself. We we had one of those. I mean, my man Bill, he printed out sheets. and, And of course, I got 
got my ass kicked. Millie had 12 right, I had five, you know, <laughs> and, and I wasn't going to hear the end of it. And I didn't even go down, you know, I didn't go down Italian lines. Like, I didn't vote for the Irishman, right. you know, just because it's Italian. You know, I kind of tried to be a little bit divergent in thought. I still got my ass kicked. I mean, I got, you know, I'm, I'm sure that five wins going to get framed somewhere in the house, you know. <laughs> We're going to talk more Oscars a little bit later on, especially just your thoughts. I want to get your thoughts, Mike, about the whole idea of no host and all the musical montages. I mean, there was, there was a lot going on. But let's uh, let's dive into some football here. And Philip Rivers, of course, we're going to get to Tom Brady in a second. By the way, every episode of the GM Shuffle, until Tom Brady signs somewhere, we're going to talk about Tom Brady, okay? So this is the place to be as far as everything about Tom Brady. You're going to find it out here. But first and foremost, Philip Rivers, he and the Chargers, Mike, has expected to hey, we're done. Mutually parting ways... And when you look at the free agent class now, these are the teams with questions at quarterback. Patriots, depending on what happens with Brady. Raiders, because of Carr. You got the Bucks and Jameis Winston. The Bears and MVP Mitch. Chargers now, of course. Titans, maybe they keep Tannehill or maybe they get him a big contract. I think they'd like to keep him. Saints and Drew Brees, does he retire? The Colts, Brissett obviously wasn't the answer if luck left them. Panthers, Cam Newton, one more year left there, and the Jaguars and our man Gardner Minshew. First off, your thoughts on Rivers and the Chargers saying goodbye. Can I just start with the Jaguars? I, I can almost visualize Tony Soprano walking into Jacksonville. Remember in the scene in the beginning of season four, why doesn't this family have any growth in its receipts? You know, it's the economy, and, and, and then he goes to Sill. So what's the two things that that have tested the time? Uh, the entertainment business and this thing of ours, right? I mean, can you imagine you're Jacksonville? You're three million over the cap with sixty players before the cap. You got to have to create room to get under the cap to fit your draft picks in. And you went. What did you win? Like four games. I mean, could you imagine that? Could you imagine you got a shitty cap and a shitty team? Like, how is that even possible? Like, how is that possible? Right? And and you kept your job. I mean, I'm I'm telling you. I'm freaking telling you. There has got to be a documentary on David Caldwell. There's got to be one. Because you can't draft as bad as he's drafted. You can't have a losing record as much as he's had and still maintain a job. And then when you look at the cap thing, you sit there and say, wait a minute, we got a shitty team and we're over the cap? I mean, you know, I could just see Tony walking in there saying, look, you know, where's the growth in this family's business? You know, my (laughs) uncle's on trial. You know, like, could you imagine this? Seriously. It's a mess. And they want to play more games in London now. How about that? Here's what I tell our fan base. Uh, We'd like to play more games in another country across the pond. One game is not enough. We want two games in London, England. What do you think, Jaguars fans? I think the Harvard Business Review should come out and do a study on on how he's been able to keep his job. I mean, I think that's a documentary in itself. I I, I think that's remarkable. I think it would be part political. I I just really want to know. Like, I want to know how you do that. Like, I'm in all of them. I'm really in all of them. Like, you know, I'm in all. I mean, I never had as much authority as he had in the league. I'm in all of the guy. I'm truly in all of his power to be able to create this notion. And nobody in the media comes after him. Like, oh, no, no. Like, nobody comes in and puts his draft picks. He's got more draft picks playing for the Rams he does for his own goddamn team. You know? And it's, like, hilarious. Like, I, I don't know how he does it. Like, I don't understand it. Like, you talk about a hell of a show. Anyway, let's go back to Phillip Rivers. I apologize. I got sidetracked. Anyway, you know, look, I think Phillip Rivers... First of all, let's break this thing down. When the Chargers come out and say they're not interested, right, that really doesn't help an agent because as much as the media wants us fans to believe there's 15 teams interested in a certain player, there's usually just one, maybe two. 
you know, you really are playing poker. You really are. And, you know, you're in the executive game when free agency opens up, right? You're sitting there around the table. Sinatra Jr.'s over there. Sills eating shrimp. You're playing, and you got to figure out everybody's hand, right? The penis doctor's over there in the corner. I mean, every you know, you're trying to figure it all out, right? So when the team says, we're out. Like Vic Beasley with the Falcons, the defensive end, the Falcons announced, sent out a press release saying we're not involved. Like that kills an agent. That kills an agent. Now, the agent will spin it and say, well, we asked them to do that. Bullshit. You didn't ask them to do it. Because the best way you make money in free agency is when the home team's in it. When the home team's in it, then the numbers go up. The numbers come in. And so when that happens, when you have the home team as one of the, was one of the guys sitting at the executive table, you got a chance to really make some coin. You know, but when you let the home team out of it and the home team basically comes out and says, we're out, that's what the combine will be all about. The combine will be all about people. First of all, David Caldwell will be holding a seminar on how to keep your job after being efficient. That'll be one annex of a room. And then the other part will be, you know, like every team will be asking, hey, you guys going to sign back? Uh, You know, we might, we might not. You know, like teams want to know because the home team carries weight. When the agent says we won't give a home team discount, that's basically telling you the home team ain't interested. It's telling you the home. It's like there's just all language that you could choreograph. So for Rivers to come out and say that, what this symbolizes is Rivers is interested in winning. He's not interested in his contract. I think he knows he's not going to get to, you know, thirty million a year. He's got two. He wants to play two more years. He wants to go somewhere and he wants to win. And he, you're going to have to prove to him that you can win. You're going to have to prove to him that you've got a supporting cast around him that allows him to win. And since he can't move in the pocket and since his ability to maneuver is becoming hindered with age, you're really going to have to prove you got a good offensive line. And the two teams that come to mind to me are the Raiders and the Colts. I don't see the Bucks, even though he moved to Florida, because the Bucks' offensive line is to shits, whether they can protect him or not. Now, they've got skill players, and I'm sure, sure Arians can convince them. But for me, I, I think the Colts would be in play here, especially considering that the Colts have almost $90 million of cap room. And that counts, a huge chunk of that counts on Brissett's deal. I think Brissett's cap number is like $25 million this year. Let's look at uh, Rivers' number specifically. He's a 38-year-old guy. He's the most prolific passer in Chargers history. As you mentioned, he moved his family from San Diego to Florida with all those kids. Could you imagine those moving costs? In terms of his numbers, 4,615 yards passing, Mike. He's an eight-time Pro Bowler, but 23 touchdowns, his fewest since 2007, with 20 interceptions this past season. Obviously, overall, the team was 5-11. and They were a big disappointment. So the question becomes this. Uh, let's narrow it down as you did. Colts and Raiders, he's 38 years old. But listen, the guy still threw for over 4,600 yards. He wants a three-year contract, I'm guessing, right? What kind of money are we talking about? Two years of an option? We're looking at, what, 60, 70 million? I would say he's probably going to go for a two-year deal. Because remember, we're gonna, we could potentially go into a no-CBA deal in 2021 where the owners lock out the players, right? So what does that mean in terms of doing a contract? That means you can't do what Dallas and the punter did in Washington by going 30% over one year to the next. So what happened to Dallas and why they got fined and why they lost cap room and so did the punter in Washington when he was running the Redskins is, you know, you can't pay Phillip Rivers $15 million this year and then pay him $30 million next year. The next year's number has to be within 30%. So you can't go over that. So there's really no way to to back end low. And you could guarantee, see, you could guarantee two years and not have to fund the money. So it's an easy deal to do. Say he's going to get $45 million for two. 
right? So he'll get 20 and 25, and they'll guarantee 40 million of it, and that's easy to do. They just don't really have to pay his cap number. If they were smart, they would just make his cap number 20 and 25 million and guarantee portions of it and not try to prorate it because you don't have any money left over. So it's an easy deal to do, but it's not an easy deal to do for some teams that are trying to kind of manipulate. That's where you have to be real careful about the cap implications because remember, the other thing we have to remind ourselves here, there's no dumping of cap money into next year's cap. So that June 1 date doesn't exist anymore. So you can't take a guy that you've paid a bunch of money to, like say Todd Gurley, they want to trade Todd Gurley. You can't dump his money into next year's cap. It's got to stay in this year. So which makes the Todd Gurley conversation ridiculous that they're going to trade him because he's almost untradeable. You can't. They can't afford the cap hit. That's interesting because now you're right. When it turns to these numbers, like that's what we were talking with Cam Newton and the fact the cap hit, you go, hey, that's not much money left in his deal. He's got one year left in his current contract. And it's for Carolina in terms of what they're going to do with Cam Newton. Mike, I think, you know what? It's not much money, relatively speaking, these other guys. You let him play this year, and then after that, maybe you sign him to a big deal. Yeah, I think there's two teams are going to be looking for quarterbacks but hold on to their quarterbacks. So I think what's, what's going to happen, what you'll see is you'll see Oakland hold on to Carr and shop. You know, what's going to happen with Ryan Tannehill? Like, I could see Ryan Tannehill being Gruden's Rich Gannon. I could see him saying, I get a tough guy. He kind of won me over the way he played, played well out in Oakland. He can do all the moving stuff. Gruden wants somebody who can make a play within a play. I mean, he's watching Mahomes play, right? And he watches Mahomes take no play and turn it into a play. He wants, whereas Carr, it's never really the play dies once it dies. It's even though Carr's athletic and can move, he doesn't get a second play. You know, so I could see Tannehill, if they don't franchise him doing that, I could see him being appealing because he's got the athleticism to do that with him. So, you know, they're going to hold on to Carr and then trade Carr. They're going to hold on to Newton, figure out what he is health-wise, and then make a decision on that. But, you know, the Panthers have like $30 million of cap room. So, you know, and, and they, they took a huge hit because of Keekly retired. I mean, they're sitting there with $15 million worth of, de- of cap money, uh, dead money sitting on their cap. So that, that's huge. I mean, you know, the Dolphins have huge debt money at $12 million, but they have the most cap space of anybody at $90 because they got rid of all those players. Whereas, you know, the Jaguars have five million of dead cap room, obviously, and they're and they're and they're gonna have to create three million of room just to get under the cap to get to that fifty one number, and they got all these draft picks to sign, which then precludes you from doing that. So they're gonna have to do something with Nick Foles' deal, they're gonna have to do something with some of these players' deal, and then you're limited in doing redoing these deals by the thirty percent rule. It's amazing that a year after signing Foles to much acclaim, you're already going to have to restructure and rework it because the way things have gone. In terms of the New Orleans Saints, you were talking earlier about whether or not you know players or agents that are interested. Drew Brees made it very clear: this is not about the money. Either he's going to sign with the New Orleans Saints or he is going to retire. This is no leverage play here. This is just whether or not how much does he have left in the tank in his body. It's tough to imagine a day where the Saints don't have Drew Brees in their center, Mike. But do you think it's happening sooner rather than later? I feel like Brees will come back, but. Maybe not. Yeah, I, I mean, look, and the Saints are limited. I mean, the Saints have $9 million of cap room, and that doesn't count your tenders. None of these numbers I'm citing count your tenders. And this is where I think, you know, when Tony went down there to have that meeting with those guys and he was bitching at them, I mean, I think really what happens in free agency is is it becomes really clear what teams really are having strategy meetings and what team just operate with tactics, right? And so strategy is an abstract thing. It's based on a long-term goal. You build a strategy, and then you execute the strategy. Tactics is finding the right move right now. 
Okay, so and that's what Jacksonville typically always does. There's no strategy in what they're doing. They just find the right move right now. We need a quarterback. We're going to get one. There's no long-term thought process. And and I think that that's really what happens to most of these teams as they enter into free agency. They don't have a long-term plan to link the draft, free agency, on the street, player development, how it all comes together. How are we going to build this team with a full strategy, right? I mean, you know, and the, the other thing I think it's what people don't understand is that sometimes when you're sitting there is, you know, this is a great quote that I, that I saw the other day is basically, you know, strategy is knowing what to do when there's nothing to do. And tactics is doing something when you have to do it, right? So when Belichick doesn't call timeout, well, meanwhile, I'm up in the press box screaming for him to call timeout with 24 seconds to go in, in Super Bowl 49. That was a strategy. My answer was a tactic, right? I wanted to call timeout. That was the thing to do at that moment. Belichick's strategy was they were confused. They didn't know what to do, right? That's a strategy. He didn't react to the moment. This is what happens in free agency. And so teams like Jacksonville, the teams that just go line item, you know, they have shitty teams, but have these bad, they don't have a strategy involved. And I think when you sign one of these veteran guys, and this will lead us into the Brady conversation next, is when you sign Phillip Rivers, you have to have a strategy. You've got to have a long-term goal. I'm going to sign him for two years. Let's just take the Colts, for example. If I'm the Colts, I sign Rivers. Two years, I convince him I'm going to sign Costanza back. You're going to have a left tackle. This is the best offensive line in football. You're with a coach who knows you. We're going to be in shotgun. We're going to ex- You're going to give us toughness. But we're going to draft a quarterback somewhere in this draft. It could be in the first round. And you're going to help us develop this quarterback for two years. That's a strategy. If you just plug them in and say Gruden signs Phillip Rivers or Brady, they sign him, and then you're not building a team around it, then that's a tactic. And I think this is what happens to free agency. All right. I think the Cowboys are definitely going to resign Dak Prescott. It's a matter of when, not if. We've oh. talked quite about that, right? Oh, okay. You're going to have to give me a seatbelt. Can we fucking stop with this, please? <laughs> I mean, where is this story coming from? Seriously, what is going on here? Like, I get talking heads have to go on and debate, but where is Tom Brady? Where in ever is the in the DNA of the Dallas Cowboys they are going to sign Tom Brady for a year or two? Seriously, where is it? What was Mike McCarthy's relationship with them? I mean, I mean, are you kidding me? I get the Cowboys have a ton of cap room, but to sign Brady, you're going to have to relinquish your rights to Dak. Like, why are we talking? Can you explain this having been being at a network that drives stories that are no stories? Can you explain it to me? I think you're right. Part of it is, Mike, like you said, you have to look for content. Right? We're going to fill an hour show here, NFL Live, every day. Let's find something to talk about. And certainly the Cowboys, they drive conversation as much as anybody, right? So when you're in the room, they say, listen, every day we've got to find a way to someone to talk about LeBron, talk about the Patriots, talk about the Cowboys, et cetera. But I'm with you. There's no way that Dak, I mean, as you said before, Jerry Jones is the type, he takes care of his guys. Say what you want as far as an owner, whether or not you think he's a meddler, whether you think he's poor personnel decisions. It was an atrocious decision to keep the clapper all these years. But when it comes to his guys, he pays them, especially when they're elite. I mean, a guy like Prescott, you're right. I cannot imagine a world in which we live in, in which Prescott goes, they replace him with Tom Brady. There's no way. No, no chance. And Jerry's got a zillion dollars of cash. I mean, he's like he's like the Saudi prince. I mean, there's no money. He could, he could afford to pay for anything at any time. I mean, so it isn't going to be like, oh, he can't afford to, you know, he's going to worry about his cash flow. I mean, Jacksonville's one year, one year that they got to the conference championship game was the one year that they outspent everybody in the league. 
Again, tactics, no strategy. You know, they spent outspent everybody in the league, and therefore they've got this. So, like, at some point, you, it, where, where does this make any sense? I mean, I saw people on TV talk. I see it on Twitter. I'm like, this is the most ridiculous fucking rumor I've ever heard in my life. Like, that Tom Brady's not going to Dallas. He's not playing for Mike McCartney. He's not going to participate with – like, that's not what he's about. Yeah, they got a good offensive line, but why would the Cowboys want that? They love Dak Prescott. So let's get to that big fish you mentioned, Tom Brady himself. The, the, the stars seem to align, Mike, if he doesn't return to the Patriots. And Tom has made it very clear. He's open for business. He's going to entertain all offers. As you've said previously, obviously a guy who worked for the Patriots many years, won Super Bowls there. You agree with Brady's decision. He's earned this right now. He's taken hometown discounts many times along the way. He wants to go get paid. Totally get it. And the thoughts are, if it's not the Patriots, then it's the Chargers. You go to L.A. where they have trouble drawing, forget about drawing fans, even having an identity in that city, right? I mean, look, at it's a Lakers town. The Clippers are great right now. You're battling the Rams. You're battling the Dodgers who just got Mookie bets. I mean, who the hell cares about the Chargers? They care about USC football more than the Chargers. So all of a sudden, you get Tom Brady. Maybe he can turn things around. He has ownership. He can have control. You're going to listen to what he says. Unlike the Raiders, where you and I have talked about the fact he and John Gruden almost certainly with butt heads. How about Brady to the Chargers if the Pats don't work out? You know, that one I could see. I think that one has legs. I get that one. I mean, I would probably say a novena for Tom to go out there and play behind that offensive line, and he would have to be convinced that they're going to do something with their team to repair the offensive line. But I mean, they're in, you know, they've got 48 million of cap room. Now they got the skill players. They got to sign Hunter Henry back, right? What are they going to do with him? They probably franchise him. See, this is what my, the sheets don't, don't really tell you about what the players are. It doesn't tell you who they're going to tender and how they're going to do it. But the reality here is I see that one. I, I could see him being lured to Las Vegas too. I could see that one. I mean, what do we got rallies going on? Is that what we have too? Well, this is amazing. You sent me the story right now. This is seriously the proof of just how huge Brady is. There are Tom Brady rallies scheduled for Las Vegas, February 15th, Los Angeles, February 20th, Dallas, February 22nd, Chicago, February 27th, Miami, March 1st, Indianapolis, March 7th, Jacksonville, March 10th, and Charlottesville, March 12th. They're holding rallies for Tom Brady, Mike. This is incredible. Why is Charlottesville on there? Is he going to go to the University of Virginia? Uh, I mean, what's what's that one about? Like, seriously, and the Jacksonville one. I mean, I can't. I hope David Caldwell's the keynote speaker at that rally. I mean, you know, I mean, it doesn't make any sense to me. I mean, I think Las Vegas and and Los Angeles make sense. Dallas to me is just. I think that's just the Syracuse people on that that produce TV shows just want to grab ratings because it makes no sense. Chicago's interesting because we know one thing: the great Mitchell Trubisky ain't going anywhere, and. And Brady ain't backing up Mitchell Trubisky, I can tell you that. So, you know, Miami, I don't see Chan Gailey doing anything with him in Miami. And then I think you have to look at the cap flexibility, right? You know, when you look at the Chargers, I mean, the Chargers are not exactly – they got $48 million of cap room. Now, the Dolphins, the Colts, the Bills, the Bucks, the Cowboys are the top five teams in terms of cap room. What team could sign up? The Raiders have $51 million worth of cap room. You know – and they've got two first-round picks – so they're going to spend money on a quarterback, plus they'll trade out Carr because it won't be much of an exchange. So basically that $51 million they're using to trade out Carr for the next guy, right? They'll get an asset for Carr. Say they signed Tannehill for a three-year deal at, say, $90 million or $95 million or $100 million, right? $33 million a year. And then they'll trade Carr out and have maybe a net cost of five, six, seven million dollars So I could see that. But – you know, to me, the Brady thing has got to be about you're going to have to convince him that he's going to be able to play within the scheme and all that. That's why, to me, it always all roads lead back to New England. And the New England conversation is, 
is to me this is the hard one for New England because where are they going? Okay, if just hypothetically say New England decides we're going to re-sign Brady and we're going to pay him thirty million a year for two years, sixty million. Let's just say these are all hypothetical numbers. Okay, so now we've got them. So we're going to have to build a team around Tom that fits what Tom wants to do, which means we need a veteran team. We need veteran receivers. You know, we'll probably need to sign a tight end. We're going to need to build this team in a certain way. And then where does that leave us in two years, right? And then here's the real question. And I think this is the question that all these teams need to ask because I know it's – and I love Tom more than anybody. But at some point, when is the wall clearly obvious? What happens if he can't do what we think he can do? What happens if we are in, for lack of a better term, the remember when phase? You know, remember when is the lowest form of conversation. <laughs> Paulie, a big fan of that. So. What happens if we are in the remember when phase? What happens if you put these assets in the middle of the table and you go all in and Tom can't be the Tom that you remember when? What happens then? That is a huge issue. You're absolutely right. And for the Patriots, that's the risk they have to take. Do you go a couple more years trying to squeeze a little more blood from a stone or do you say, you know what, let's move on? One more team I want to throw at you, Mike, with Brady. What about the Colts and Tom Brady? I'm with you that the Raiders you can see and some of the Chargers you can see. Do you see Indianapolis being a fit? I could. I could see Indy because I think Indy's a really good young team. I think Indy can put a PowerPoint together and convince them that we can win. I think even though we got Mahomes, even though he's in the West, we're in the South, even though Deshaun Watson, we think we can win. We've got a ton of cap room. We've got a really good young team. We're going to draft well. I think they could sell it. I think that's going to be the key. Is That's going to be the key for Rivers, too, is who can sell it. Can Arians sell Tampa? We didn't talk about the great Jameis. You know, I mean, if they don't franchise Jameis, you know, at the number, who pays Jameis $30 million? That would be the question I would want to know. Like, who's paying 30 30 for 30 Who's going to pay $30 million to get 30 picks and 30 touchdowns? Like, that's the ultimate 30 and 30 so that also you got to figure that one in too. If they decide to get away from it, and look, the Bucks have thirty seventy nine million. That's not counting a franchise tag. If they franchise him, that cost comes right off. So say they franchise him, and the franchise numbers thirty million. I'm throwing it out there. You know they're left with forty nine million to build a team around around Winston. So if they franchise him and say they want to sign, they say they franchise Winston, you know, or say they sign Brady and let Winston go. What's their long term plan here? Who's the backup? Who's coming in? See, I think these are all, again, strategy tactics. What are we doing? To me, the team that signs Brady without any strategy involved, without a deeper plan, doesn't understand how what team building is all about. Well said. We're going to talk about Brady, like I said, every single time here on the GM Shuffle until he signs, because obviously the biggest fish out there is very, very fascinating as to what could happen. Do not go anywhere. We come back. XFL. Mike's going to tell me the good, the bad, and the ugly recording the new incarnation. Stay tuned. The 82-game preseason is in the books, and it's finally time for the real season. Don't miss out on any of the NBA playoff action at DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NBA. From the play-in tournament through the finals, DraftKings Sportsbook has you covered with same-game parlays, live betting, odds, and so much more. As the first round continues on, you can bet sides, totals, player props, everything at your disposal over on DraftKings. All you have to do, download the DraftKings Sportsbook app and use code SHUFFLE. New customers bet 5 and get $200 in bonus bets instantly. That's code SHUFFLE only on DraftKings. The crown is yours. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or in West Virginia, visit www.1800gambler.net. In New York, call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY-467-369. In Connecticut, help is available for problem gambling. Call
call 888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org. Please play responsibly on behalf of Boot Hill Casino and Resort in Kansas. 21 plus age varies by jurisdiction. Void in Ontario. Bonus bets expire 168 hours after issuance. See dkng.com slash bball for eligibility and deposit restrictions, terms, and responsible gaming resources. So last Sunday, I'm taking my kids out. As we live here in Bergen County, as Mike told me in Jersey, you know, where I live, we go by the county. So Bergen County, where he lives, you go by the exits. You live by exit four, by exit five. So we're hanging out here in Bergen County, take my kids to Humdingers, check out a little bowling. And there on the big screen TVs is the XFL. And of course, my eldest son, Yusuf, says, oh, there's football. I said, yeah, it's the XFL. He's like, well, what's that? I go, man, it's this alternative league. He's like, well, what's it all about? I go, well, they used to have it before. Now they brought it back. I don't know if it's going to work. He's like, you're not interested? I go, not really. I'm like, we'll see how it goes. Well, the big line is this. The first XFL game drew 3.3 million viewers on ABC. For perspective, the Alliance of American Football drew 2.9 million for its first game, and the AAF never was able to recover. But the XFL, of course, is a much better TV deal. They've got, obviously, ESPN, ABC. you got Steve Levy calling games. you got Fox and Kevin Burkhart and all the rest of it. So, Mike, I saw your tweets that you were watching it. So to a guy who is not interested, can you sell me on why the XFL is of interest? Yeah, I, I think, you know, if you like football and if you have that um, impulse to want to bet on things that you can see visually fairly well, then this is something for you to do, you know, and you could kind of it's eight teams. So you could learn the league fairly quickly and there's going to be lines here in New Jersey. They they put the lines up. Now they had a minimum of a thousand dollars per the point spread, 500 for the over and under. So you can do that. You can bet on these. And you get a chance to kind of watch it. Look, the game's slow. We know this. Like, the reason these guys are playing in the XFL is because they don't have something, there's something missing with the NFL team. And usually it's kind of speed. And so the league is much slower. But I thought it was fun. I think the real hard time is going to be is, am I going to watch this when we start March Madness? When Thursday night we start the brackets and we go, will I watch this when? You know, Florida State's playing Duke on a Saturday afternoon. Probably I'm going to watch football, right? Am I watching this or Wichita and Houston? You know, what am I going to do? I think a lot of it is, you know, and then once you can get, I think the thing that has going for them is because they don't have an owner, they can gradually build an audience. They don't have to build one immediately because the owner's not going to go bankrupt. It's a good point. Whenever, because that was the AAF. It was crazy. Bill Pullian. I mean, there were everybody was out there excited. All of a sudden, boom! The thing took a nosedive, and you blink and you missed it. It was over. But that started on CBS, and then it went to NFL Network, CBS Sports, that was streaming, etc. Here you've got ABC, Fox, ESPN committed for the entire season. And you're right about the sports calendar. I mean, this month is always the worst. I mean, it is just you're going. Hang on a second. Regular season hoops, regular season hockey, regular season college basketball. No NFL yet. No baseball. You're kind of just waiting this month. The weather sucks. Like. You just want to get something to do. So to your point, you are filling a void right now. And then once you hit March Madness, then you're off and running with the other sports. So maybe for the next month, you can build enough of an audience that those diehards stay with you. If you can get 3 million people, I mean, that's that's something, right? Yeah, no. And I mean, look, you don't have to worry about how many come into the stands because you've got a TV deal and you're going to split it. And you know you're going to lose money the first year. But remember, this league was formed for one reason and one reason only. It was not formed because they want to compete with the NFL. It was not formed because they want to be a developmental league for the NFL. It was formed for betting. It was formed for the void in betting, people that want to bet. And because legalized gambling has come into America and people can bet in their seats, and that's why they are so betting friendly. The app, 
the app, the app. That's the key to this league is the app. They want people to bet. They want people to bet on games. They want, you know, they're going to be in the forefront of this and, and, and really try to create a situation like the kickoff rule is really good. You know, and there's some things that they do, the replay, the transparency and replay. We'll never see this because, you know, we've got the Zabruder film going on in New York City. I mean, we can't, God forbid if we have this, we got cover-ups going everywhere. But the reality, the transparency and replay, I think those are, those are all really good things. I, I think this little bit too much of being involved with the play call and all that i mean you know somebody sitting at home doesn't really want to know what spider two why banana is it's great to hear it you know i think watching a coach coach is kind of fun i think that's good but i'm in favor of it i like it and i like the fact that other than metlife i like the fact that they went small on stadiums like i thought that was smart yeah, because listen, those big places, like you said, there can be like snobs about it. So listen, we've already got professional football. We don't care about this and that, blah, blah, blah. So why not look at these other smaller places, underserved markets, so to speak? I mean, there's no coaches' challenges. I mean, the punting rules have been changed to entice coaches to go for it on fourth down. You look at an alternative lead, Mike, what are they going to do? They're always going to try to be more offensive friendly, right? You know, better time, quicker time. As you mentioned, the biggest issue is just the quality of the game is not going to be there. But you know that going in. Yeah, you know it, and it's going to get better. I mean, look, they just started. It's the tip of the iceberg. They're just getting going. So it's going to take some time. We're going to see some quarterbacks. And I think, you know, we already had our first coach fired. Pepper Johnson couldn't make it. You know, I mean, poor Pep. I mean, he couldn't make it to the first game. And so, you know, we're seeing a little bit of what's going to happen. And I think it's kind of good. I mean, you can't. One thing, if you're a lifelong learner, you can't throw your nose up to something. You should watch it and learn something from it. And I I think it's beneficial. But I do think it's all about the betting app. I think that's going to be the key, whether this league succeeds or not. If people feel like you can bet and the bets are kind of worthwhile to make, I think this league will grow. All right, we'll see what happens with the XFL. Coming up next after break, Mike and I will break down a variety of things, including Taysom Hill saying he wants to be a franchise quarterback. We'll open up the mailbag. Plus, we'll talk about the Oscars, a big night for Parasite. Our kids have said to us since we moved to Minnesota, we are far more active than we've ever been anywhere else we've ever lived. Moving to Minnesota opened up a lot of doors for us. Just this overall sense of community and of values that, you know, Minnesotans have. It's a real accepting, loving community, especially with two young kids. See what makes Minnesota the star of the North. New residents share why they love calling it home at exploreminnesota.com slash live. And now it's time for Joe's question of the week. Joe, what do you have for us? Taysom Hill says he wants to be a franchise quarterback in the NFL. Which team do you guys think could use his talents the best? Well, I'll give you credit, Mike. You said, especially during the season, that Taysom Hill was talented, and you think he has the chance, the chance to be a guy who could do some things rather than just be a quarterback that you can use as a fullback and use sporadically. I mean, I'll defer to you. We don't want the teams with quarterback positions here, the Raiders, the Chargers, the Bucks, the Saints, the Colts, et cetera. I'm going to guess you might say Colts. What do you think? No, I'm going to go Raiders here. I think he would be perfect. I think it would be you sign him, you keep Carr, let those two compete. You give Taysom Hill some time to kind of develop. You use Carrage, the bridge guy. You bring Taysom Hill in like Sean does. You give him a chance to really develop. And then you really see what you have here. And then once you really buy into him, then you can develop an audience. Everybody's worried about, well, he's hurt at BYU. Look, I'm going to tell you something. 
he might have been hurt at BYU, and I, I don't argue that, but the son of a bitch is tougher than nails. I mean, he, t- he takes enormous hits when he runs it. He goes down and covers kicks. I mean, he ain't on any injury report. I mean, he's the personal protector on the punt team. I mean, he does everything, and it doesn't look like he ever gets hurt. So, you know, sometimes guys get labeled, oh, they're hurt all the time. That was why in the first round we're sitting there in Cleveland in 1995, and we're deciding between Craig Powell and Curtis Martin. And so everybody in the room, Curtis Martin's got durability issues, got durability issues, durability issues, durability. He's the best player, but he's got durability issues. So what do we do? We rationalize. Huge mistake. We take Powell, and we'll get Curtis in this next round. Of course, he's gone by the time we have a chance to pick him. And, of course, Powell sucks, and Martin had no durability issues. So at some point, you got to get off of that. you got to get off of the one thing that you cling to that isn't really relevant any longer. And I think some teams are smart enough to do that. But if I were building a team – I would definitely be interested in Taysom Hill, and I would definitely be interested in having a way to where we could grow him into being the full-time player and have an offensive mind that could take advantage of his unique skills because they are unique, and they are everything that we hope Tebow could have been. Taysom Hill is. He's a big boy. There's no question about that. And very physical, as you mentioned. The GM Shuffle at gmail.com is where you can send us your questions. Uh, thanks so much. We had a really nice email, in fact, sent to us this week. So we appreciate all those who are sending stuff all the time. Um, brevity is the key, though, I should note. You know, when you're sending these, try to make them as quick as possible. But we want to say thank you to Richard Patterson, who chimed in there from New Zealand. As far as this question, Joe Judge is a first-year head coach who has surrounded himself with former head coaches on the staff. I see the value in a first-year head coach hiring a assistance with head coaching experience, but I worry that he'll struggle to earn the respect from those coaches. Do you think it would have been better for Judge to hire coaches who are earlier in their careers or looking for their first opportunities? This is from Matt. What do you got, Mike? Matt, I think I agree with you. I think, look, we learned that in Cleveland, you know, and I think Belichick learned that. I think that's why Belichick is all young now. I mean, we learned in Cleveland that if you bring people in that are set to do it their way, especially when you want to install the Patriot way, which is way different than most coaches ever do. You know, most coaches struggle with the Patriot way because it changes who they are. And I think that's the dangerous thing. Will, you know, will Jason Garrett listen to what Joe wants to do in terms of how it all now all in the offseason, man, that's great. That's all easy, right? But when it comes to when the bullets start flying, when it's nineteen seventeen and we're in that bunker, you know, and we got to get the hell out of here, you know, that's when the shit starts to hit the fan a little bit. And I think that's the problem. So I, I would have gone all young I would have gone all player coaching and development. I would have made sure that that was the area because to to build the Giants back, to get them out of the 31st win team in the last five years, it's going to require a lot of player development. you got cap room this year. You think you have a young quarterback. It's going to require teaching and player development, not a bunch of ex-guys who have been head coaches who want, you know, their first thing is, uh, he's no good, we need another player. You, you can't have that. You know, Al Davis should say all the time, make them think they're high school coaches because high school coaches can't get another player. they got to coach who they have. I think you're right, man. I would have stayed young. All right. Thanks to Matt for sending us in once again, the GM Shuffle at gmail.com. We close up shop here once again. We'll be weekly episodes here of the GM Shuffle, Apple Podcasts. You can subscribe, rate, and review and spread the word. But let's talk about the Oscars. No host, Mike, which pains me once again. The Oscars think, oh, no host, you don't need a host. Listen, Chris Rock and Steve Martin were so funny they should have been the host throughout the night instead i don't know when the oscars turn into the grammys you got janelle monet out of the gate i got eminem singing for some reason meantime the irishman my favorite film of 2019 of the nine nominees for best picture the irishman was the only one that went home empty-handed every single other nominee for best picture won at least something once upon a time in hollywood wins you know best supporting actor best production design ford versus ferrari wins best editing and meantime my man marty's falling asleep during eminem's performance a tough day for the irishman i was i was disappointed i was too because i don't think you could 
Like, I thought Brad Pitt was good in Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. Not that I'm some critic. You are. I'm not. But I thought Joe Pesci. I don't know how you could be better than Joe Pesci. Yes. Like, I don't know. It was completely a foreign role to him. He was not this maniac lunatic type of guy. You know, even in My Cousin Vinny, he was kind of a little bit crazy, you know. This was a subdued, you know, he had to act with his eyes. It was emotional. You could see it in his face. I mean, I think Pacino was fabulous too, but, you know, I didn't think Irishman was going to win. I voted for 1917. I didn't see Parasite. Did You saw Parasite. What is Parasite about? Yeah, so it's a film like that in many ways defies categorization because it's so unpredictable. So I don't want to say too much, but I'll tell you this. It's about a poor family that infiltrates a rich family. And by that, I mean one becomes a housekeeper, one becomes a driver, etc. So they're trying to, you know, improve their economic standing by going into this rich family and then all hell breaks loose. It is savagely funny. It's very dark. It's a commentary on class system and it's very entertaining. I know that there's foreign films. We all know this. There are some that put you to sleep like Roma, but I'm telling you it's very entertaining. I don't think there's a chance you're going to watch Parasite and you'll be disappointed. I think you'll like it a lot. I mean, I couldn't get through seven minutes of Roma. I watched water go down a drain for the first eight minutes. I'm like, Jesus Christ, is this what they fucking teach you in acting school? Like, I mean, I'm watching water go down a goddamn drain. I'm like, oh, at some point, can we get moving? Somebody's got to die here quickly. I mean, is there a snake in the water? I don't know what's going on. Like, could you imagine sitting in front of your royal typewriter and saying, okay, I'm going to write a screenplay. Water's going down this drain for the next eight minutes. Yeah, that's brilliant. I got that really good. Yeah, I, well, I remember that asking out. people that loved it. And I'm like, well, what's the point? They go, oh, it's, it's so beautifully shot. I'm like, okay, no, I got it. After 30 seconds of the water down the drain i got this beautiful shot how about story how about plot give me a car chase yeah i mean the other thing i think i agree with you there's got to be a traffic cop there's got to be somebody who can deliver things and i thought jimmy kimmel was great when he did it you know yes you know and and, and we get the matt damon play on that i thought that was good i think it's just hard for me you know they're so conscious of time and trying to move things along they lose viewership. I mean, you know, like, what is the ultimate goal here? What are they doing? The other thing I had, and you can explain to me, is is I watched Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. I loved seeing the 405 with 70 cars. I loved the scenery and all that. I just didn't get the point of the movie. Like, I wasn't sure what was the point. It's a great point you make because my issue with it was I thought it was aimless and self-indulgent. And at the same time, I agree with you. It was beautiful that he was able to recreate that time period. And he's very nostalgic about Hollywood in the 70s, which I can appreciate. But to your point, okay, it's revisionist history. I guess his point was he was trying to make was this, was that this was so-called the end of innocence. Like this was a time where Sharon Tate could make a movie, go watch herself in the theater and feel good about herself. And then all of a sudden things changed. And so rather than showing how things changed, he opts for an alternative reality in which things could have stayed that way. It's a very kind of sentimental look at the way things are and how he wished things could have been. But I'm with you. Ultimately, I don't need that over two hours and 40 minutes and a lot of aimless shots of Brad Pitt driving and him taking his shirt off and him playing himself. I mean, I just it didn't have as much bite as his other movies. I would say that. And that's what I thought. I thought Pitt played himself. I thought Pesci was doing something that he didn't typically do. But I mean, look, I I, I don't know. I mean, you know, it's just it's hard for me to figure out. And then all the you know the the forced jokes on the on the presenters. I mean, it just never really works. You know, it never really feels good. You know, they're reading it off a prompter. There's nothing that really comes natural to it. You know, here's the and best so. point you made. They're so conscious of time, but why? If you and I are watching football, we love football. Watch Super Bowl. Do we care if it's three hours, or if it's four hours, if it's five hours? No. If you're a baseball fan, do you care that the World Series games that go past midnight? No. 
So why do they care so much? The Oscars are once a year. If it's four hours, but it's a great show, who cares? They're like you said, they get rid of the host trying to make it quicker. It's not quicker. It's three and a half hours. So it's still long, but it doesn't have any juice to it. It feels incoherent. And what I love as a movie fan is you used to have those great film montages, right? You'd watch the Oscars as a kid and go, oh my God, yeah. I'd love to watch uh, Rear Window. I just saw a clip about the Oscars. That seems interesting. I don't know anything about Alfred Hitchcock, so let me learn a little bit more about this guy. They didn't do any of that, Mike. No montages. I need the montages. And I, I know. And, and, you know, and look, why? what's the law against starting it at seven o'clock on the East Coast? You know, like, why wouldn't you start it at seven? It's four out there. Everybody who's out there in California is watching it anyway. You already got a guaranteed audience, right? So, you know, and everybody's getting there. You got some red carpet. I mean, I saw four people in the red carpet. I, you know, I mean, critiquing outfits. I mean, I wish I could have done the commentary on some of those goddamn outfits, you know? I mean, I probably would have been be in jail. But anyway, but why can't you start it at seven? Like, why can't you start it at seven? You're going to have a huge audience no matter what you do. Right. And, and especially considering the first award is a substantial award. It's not like they're giving film letting it out in the first award right you know so I, I don't know i mean i watched them all i thought 1917 got ripped off i thought it was a great movie i thought it was perfect in the theater i thought you needed to see it i did not as much as i i love marty and, and pacino and pesci and all those guys i didn't think irishman was i thought it would win for the way they made the older guys look younger i thought it would win whatever that is cinematography right. i don't know what that word is visual effects you're right I thought they would win that, but I don't know some of the short documentaries and all that. I don't know any of that stuff. And so, you know, I, but I'll, I'll try to catch up. But I, I thought you were remarkable. I thought, you you know, you, you should have been out there. The zone should have sent you out there in the betting corner, you know. <laughs> You could have made people a lot of coin. It would have been great if you and me were out there together because then I would want to invite people, all these celebrities, to talk movies. And then I would say, Mike, you have to be the guy to ask them, who are you wearing? Like, honestly, yeah. right now, GM Shufflers, is there anything better in life? Picture Michael Lombardi in a tuxedo asking, yeah. <laughs> asking Leonardo DiCaprio, who are you wearing? I'm so fucking fat, I'm wearing Lululemon tux, you know, because <laughs> it expands. That's, who I'm, that's what I'm wearing. <laughs> 1917, final thought, great cinematography. Thank God Roger Deakins won 15th nomination. He wins his second Oscar. The fact it's made to look is one shot. I'm with you, Mike. It's a great, great war film. Hopefully people still check it out. Our kids have said to us since we've moved to Minnesota, we are far more active than we've ever been anywhere else we've ever lived. Moving to Minnesota opened up a lot of doors for us. Just this overall sense of community, of values that, you know, Minnesotans have. It's a real accepting, loving community, especially with two young kids. See what makes Minnesota the star of the North. New residents share why they love calling it home at exploreminnesota.com slash live.